you know, they say one of many things. It could be that they, you know, are retiring because they've reached the retirement age or they, you know, their business isn't going the way they want. And so they want to sell while they can before right, right. it declines too much or they had a fight with their family members or, or, you know, who knows. And what ends up happening is chances are a lot of those investor criteria are not lined up. Their books aren't lined up. They don't have a good pipeline. They, you know, they've, they, they, their, they, their team isn't well-developed. You know, all these things don't exist. So why not, you know, again, to the health analogy, when you're 70 years old, it isn't all of a sudden time to eat your salads, right? You, you gotta, you have to have that muscle memory throughout your life in order to have the most value throughout it. And so, My guest today is Andy Goldstrom. Um, Andy is a specialist in helping businesses grow. Um, his current firm is Midcourse Advisors, where he's a managing partner. And uh, Andy has also um, had a great success in his career in, in terms of you know, the actual reality of it and being in on the, on the floor, getting it done. You know, he's had a real estate company that he grew um, tremendously um, and a recycling company. And both of these um, were Fortune 500s. Um, I want to mention his book, also Grow Like a Pro. He's also a professor. So if you want some great advice and you're an entrepreneur, um, this is the podcast you want to listen to. So Andy, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You know, one thing I did not mention is you are a comedian too. <laughs> So how did that happen? Was that before you got into doing business? Uh, yes and no. Um, I've always had a sharp wit. And <laughs> my dad always took me to comedy shows uh, as a kid. And, um, and five years ago, my dad passed. And as a tribute to him, I decided to take a class to actually get trained in in being a comedian and have since been on stage a few times. And it's actually been uh, a nice thing because it's been a tribute to my dad. And it's also put me in a position where I've had to get out of my comfort zone, which is a good thing to do. So learning how to do something new, uh, getting up on stage in front of people uh, and, uh, and honing your skill is something that's been fun. Obviously COVID has kind of put a damper on that in the short term, but when people are back on stage regularly, I'll get back out there. You know, most people um, being out in front of people, um, exposing yourself or whatever, or your actual emotions and, and, and uh, that type of activity can be very, very fearful for people. So I, I agree with you that, you know, of putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. You felt you. that, has it helped? <laughs> I've never been shy um, and, you know, I've always been well prepared. That's how I kind of go about my thing, you know, go about life, um, you know, but it was a different way of approaching being out there because I've, you know, been in front of executives and worked with high level people and people all over the world. So never been afraid to kind of uh, be friendly and get personal or talk business or do whatever, but it was, you know, it's a different stage, so to speak. So and, you know, given how serious the world is and how divisive it is in different spots, it's nice to, you know, be able to bring a smile to people's faces once in a while or, you know, just crack a joke. 
So that brings us to uh, mid-course advisors. What is the, what do you think distinguishes the way that you approach growth versus perhaps, you know, another company does the same thing? Uh, well, mid-course advisors was founded about five years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found it because I realized that um, there are a lot of people who have um, either some knowledge or some experience, but they don't have both, which is what creates wisdom. And right, so, right. and so I made a lot of mistakes um, it, it, over my career, but I had a lot of success as well in the, in the two Inc 500 companies that I, that I was uh, a senior leader in and owner. And, um, and so what I bring to the table is um, objectivity uh, and, and capacity and uh, expertise and experience. And so there are a lot of people out there, especially in this market where people have gotten laid off, where they come from corporate jobs and they you know, uh, have a lot of resources at their disposal or used to having a lot of resources at their disposal and they're very knowledgeable and smart, but they haven't necessarily been ones who have lost sleep because they've had to make payroll. They've had to make that next sale. They've had right. to make that adjustment in good and bad markets. Uh, and so I've been in all those places in that these entrepreneurs um, are in right now. And, and, you know, and more entrepreneurs are coming out of the woodwork either because they got laid off or because the ability to, become an entrepreneur is so much easier. All you need to do nowadays is put up a website and you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, right. so, and so that doesn't mean you know how to run a business. That doesn't mean you know how to adapt or manage people. It just means that you know how to get something started. And so, uh, so the differentiation I have, I think is, is um, you know, I can help people be, you know, more successful, focused on the right things, given that I've had that experience and developed that expertise. So what is your, um, if you have to give maybe three pieces of, of advice to an entrepreneur or it could be more or less, it's okay. I just want to know what some of the primary focuses are that you look at to grow a company. Sure. Um, well, I think uh, there are a lot of them <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and to boil it down to three is, isn't always the easiest thing, but I, I think the, the, the key thing is, is to, Make sure you're solving a problem that people value and will pay for. And there are a lot of people who have, you know, great ideas because they know, understand technology or they, you know, or they, um, um, you know, they come up with a widget that's fantastic and they've done a lot of R&D on it or other things, but it doesn't mean anybody really cares for it or will, or will buy it. And so... Um, so I think what you need, uh, and a lot of people are able to identify problems based upon their own struggles and their, you know, their own needs, things that they find aren't working well for them themselves. And that's fine, but you have to be able to validate that problem. So people will want to buy it. So rather than, you know, the field of dreams thing, you really have to really have to solve a problem. Um, the second thing I think is, is you really have to get out there. And be uh, and and uh, be able to lead the sales effort. 
for your clients. And so that means you have to excuse me, my dog's here. <laughs> so you have to lead, be able to lead, uh, you have to be able to lead a sales effort. And um, there are a lot of people who want to outsource sales. You know, they, they, they want to bring salespeople on who aren't as committed or experienced, or they want to uh, form partnerships with, with things and think with other companies and thinking that will solve their problem. You have to be the chief salesperson um, out of the gate if you're the founder uh, or, you know, you and a couple of your close cohorts or people and, uh, uh, you know, partners. And the reason is, is because that's the way you get direct feedback. It's not just how you're generating the first sales, but it's actually how you get that, how you get direct feedback. If you, if any, if you, if any of your listeners have studied Airbnb, which I think was founded based, you know, in, in your neck of the woods in Washington D.C., um, uh, you know, based upon not being able to get hotel rooms at an inauguration in 2008, um, you'd recognize that they actually went out and talked to. Um, um, people who were willing to rent their homes or apartments or investment property who were not signing up for additional uh, efforts. You know, they, were, they weren't posting new opportunities on the website early on after, at the beginning. And the reason was, was they didn't feel safe. They felt like there wasn't enough qualification of the people who were going to be renting their homes from them so they didn't know whether they were going to, you know, get stiffed or they were going to have people who were, you know, criminals coming in. And so based upon that direct feedback, they actually amplified um, what they were, you know, how they were qualifying people who would actually rent those locations and the, the company took off from there. So being able to do that um, is really important. And then I think the third thing is making sure that you have the right people who are committed on your team, you know, um, you know, often the founders are visionary people who can solve problems and have great ideas, but they might not be the best operators. Right. They might not, they might, they might not, um, you know, understand all the components of, uh, of growing a business. And so you need different personality types and different skill sets, and they all need to be committed in order to get things launched. So long story short, those are the, those are three things. It's uh, you, you touch on some things that are uh, they, they just invoke a lot of thought like uh, entrepreneurs, they tend to be where we tend to be the kinds of people that want to do everything ourselves. Right. So we want to go in and, you know, do operations. We want to be outward focused with the sales, um, but you can't do everything. And it's a good idea even early on to find people that have the kind of expertise that surpasses your own. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you have to be, I think, let's call it grand-minded enough to think that whatever I do, someone else can do better. Um, and I'll find that person, you know, and then I'll move on and, and change some of my core functions so that I'm kind of like the, maybe the maestro. You know, would you sure. agree with that? Well, I think at a certain point, you want people who are smarter than you in the room where you are <laughs> smart enough you know, a, a good leader is somebody who's smart enough to do all the work, but doesn't do all the work and just knows how to ask the right questions. Um, and then let and then let other people who are smarter, smarter than you, you know, be able to help carry the work while you are the maestro. 
I, I, I will say once you start growing, that's where it's even more important because I have worked with companies that have two or three people and those two or three founders or, or initial people in the room um, know everything that's going on every minute of the day. They know all the customers, <laughs> they know the finances, they know everything that's operating, they know the strategy, but then studies have been done that when you get to eight to 10 people and then to 50 people and then to 100 people and then to 1,000 people, the dynamics and the communication channels need to change drastically in order to get people on the same page. And there are a lot of founders that don't know how to do that. They don't know how to make that leap because they have put their blood, sweat and tears on the line and they are uh, fearful to release control. And, uh, and so um, yeah, I help a lot of companies get past that initial stage or stages um, not just out of the gate. Yeah, it's incredibly important making it to the next step, being one of those few companies that actually makes it, you know, past the two years, um, makes it to the next round of investment if you're a startup and you're focused on massive cu uh, customer bases. Um, you talked about uh, Airbnb, which is a really interesting example because they, they approached so many different investors who didn't want to have anything to do with them because of what you mentioned that, you know, uh, people don't feel very comfortable about letting some, a stranger into their house. What if a crime happens and all these kinds of things that, that go through your mind. But one thing that they had was timing. Uh, we were in a recession. Things were not going very well. Um, we basically created a secondary market, you know, of, uh, of, you know, whether it's used clothes or taking your, your house and, you know, leasing it when you're not there of different sources of income for people. Do you see uh, timing as, um, you know, like, well, I guess what I would ask you is since you're already gonna be consulting a business, how would you address that, like timing issues? Well, timing is everything. Mm -hmm. But again, that is validated through demand. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of, there, there are several examples of that. So. You know, I, I recently worked with a company that does a lot of nutrition type of work. You know, they're a dietitian and a nutrition and they work, re they, they work online nationally, but they, they also work locally and regionally. So they're not a small outfit. And, um, and they didn't know where to focus, you know, or, or, or where to grow or where the demand was. And, you know, people are into nutrition on, you know, depending upon who you're talking to and what group you're with, but we were trying to focus them on, you know, exactly what the right timing is. And if you do some research, including things like Google Trends and you look up nutrition, the thing that most people are focused on right now is keto. So that's where more of the Google searches occur in the United States than the, relating to nutrition right now than anything else. And so what I helped them do based upon that and some more research was focus on that niche where the timing was right to focus on keto to be a big fish in a small pond as opposed to just trying to be a generalist nutritionist. Uh, and it, that sounds like uh, great advice. So that research is really key. Important for sure. And it's And it's something that <laughs> I don't think you'd naturally think of unless if you were someone were dealing with someone with your expertise, because you would think, well, let me, you know, I don't want to, the thought might be, 
that I don't want to lose anybody. You know, I want, I want to be general enough that, you know, anybody can use my product. The problem if, if you do that is you don't get any customers because you're not specialized, especially with social media and the way it is now, people are just hyper-focusing on their particular interests and they can do it, something that was more difficult to do in the past. So you're going to be like looking at Google Trends, I guess, to see what is it that people are interested in so we can map what we do to their interest. Is, is that kind of fair? Yeah, uh, you know, being so specific, you want to be as specific as you can in what you do so that it hurts, you know, in, in, in terms of makes you feel uncomfortable that you're so specific and, and um, you know, and that allows you to, um, it allows you to understand and hang out in a, in a, in a customer base that, that, you know, allows you to be extremely focused. I know you're in the, the legal space. Um, I have um, my best friend from growing up uh, that I'm still in touch with. He um, is an IP lawyer at a prominent firm on the West Coast that works globally, but he works in patent law in the pharmaceutical space. So, and he, he you know, he, he could have just been any kind of lawyer but he's got, you know, he, he, he's focused on one specific area and he's gotten to be very well known because he's good and because he's focused on such a, a specific area in his business. And, and, uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean, uh, you mentioned this, doesn't mean that you're, you, you have to turn away other business or lose it, lose out on it. The key thing is how do you position yourself? What's your brand? How do you market yourself? And then where do, where do you learn about your customers most? So I deal with, you know, startups and I deal with, you know, um, businesses that probably can, you know, are up to a hundred million or so uh, and work with the business leaders on that to make their adjustments. Um, but, um, and, and, you know, I help them, I help them focus on, you know, where they're going to get the most traction, where they're going to make the best adjustments that have the best ROI and be able to manage that risk. And, uh, and, and, and it doesn't mean that they have to turn away other work uh, because they could still do that. So I'm working with a, a large commercial cleaning company and, right now. And commercial cleaning is obviously... Um, um, helped and hampered in some way. And the way, the way it's been hampered right now is people aren't in the office as much. So you don't have as much janitorial need or cleaning needs in some of these offices. But then on the other hand, you've got some construction going on where you need cleanup. And for those who are returning to the office, you have, um, you know, uh, COVID concerns where you, you know, you want to be cleaner. Uh, and you and you have to have a different level of sterilization than you did and separation and all the rest. And so uh, I, I've been working with him to get focused, you know, on on working in that area where you're really focused on um, COVID readiness for people coming back to the office. And he said, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give up on my um you know, some of the restaurants that I work with or the nursing homes or other things that, you know, I have a couple of clients there, 
and I don't want to give that up. And I said, don't. And if they call on you, you can still do it and you have experience. But you, if you want to really make a name for yourself, um, you have to focus on something, you know, that, that, that you become an expert in and become known for. And I help clients do that. Yeah, that's such an important point. I, I really want to just put a big flag on that point because it's so important. Um, and I, I will tell you, I, I know this is a podcast for entrepreneurs, but um, I'm in IP space as well. And most of my work, I would say a big, big, big chunk of it has been in patent law for many years. I mean, in the 90s, I was a patent examiner. I do tons of litigation. So from that perspective, I really get what you mean about the focus of your friend who's working at a big firm. I worked at a number of big firms before I started this firm in 2012. And I want to tell you that it's a little bit, I, I definitely get it, the idea that you have to be really focused and you have to specialize and people are looking for who's the best in this field. But also as a business owner, I have to a lot of times sort of go beyond that, meaning that they're also expecting t transactions. And so, you know, my background in contracts and, and our, and I don't want to just make it about me, but our other lawyers, that's really important because you, you need somebody who's very good with transactions for like a startup company. Um, the litigation is also really important because a lot of times the IP work, uh, guess what happens? You know, companies don't get along or somebody does not take a license and you've got to enforce it. And I found that that, um, that generalization, and I know this, this goes a little bit against kind of what we're talking about, but that generalization kind of helped in that when I did more litigation, I understood more about the preparation and prosecution of, of patents. I just want to keep it to that for a second. And, what, and what, if you do the prosecution and preparation patents, I found I know more than the, uh, than the other litigators because a, a lot of them did not have a technology background. Right. And um, it's a constant kind of thing. But so in terms of the experience, it helps. But at the same time, I know that someone's looking for get me that person who's the number one patent lawyer for green tech in the world. You know, that's what they want to hear. And it's a different world than it used to be because you've got, um, you know, used to be that you look in your neighborhood for whoever, you know, the professionals you're going to be working with. But now there's a global reach. You know, people can literally reach out from China and hire somebody here. You bet. And it's, it's changed the dynamic, really. I Has would totally your... agree. I would totally agree. And, and I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> uh, but I've dealt a lot with IP. And, and, um, and one of the things that's interesting about IP is there are a lot of entrepreneurs who think that they have great IP. Um, and they, many do. Um, and they want to spend a lot of time and money on patenting their idea. And my first question to them is what's really unique about it that that would make it uh that would make somebody you know want to copy it <laughs> and then the second thing is um can you defend it because there are a lot of situations where a lot of people will put a lot of money into patents and and ultimately they you know have trouble uh defending it. And I've worked with a company that, that, um, that works, um, provides goods and services in the law enforcement space. And they uh, have a product that has um, a sensor in it. Uh, and it's really cool. Um, they've wanted to spend a lot of money 
on IP and they have spent some mm -hmm. and it's been valuable to them and it's been it's dissuaded other companies in some respects, but they're not big enough that if one of these larger firms wanted to take them out or just do that. And the story that I've told them is, you know, um, Samsung, you know, basically, you know, copied a lot of what Apple did. And, you know, Apple was the originator and Samsung kind of copied it and made it its own. And I think it's been well documented that Samsung, you know, was willing to do that because they were going to make billions in new revenue based upon what they were doing, recognizing that their risk was tens or hundreds of millions. And so they were able to make that bet. So IP is important, but it's important in the right place for the right type of firm. And, and, um, and, you know, sometimes what separates companies is not just the IP, it's actually the delivery of the service, the quality of the product. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's got to be a marriage of the the product um, as well as being able to protect the IP, et cetera. But I will mm -hmm. tell you this. One of the reasons that I exist, you know, our, our firm is exactly what you mentioned. It's just a lot of people believe that they have to go to a big firm in order to get the right kind of muscle to be able to deal with a patent litigation or copyrights, trademarks, um, even some fairly sophisticated business transactions. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to start a firm in 2012 to address just that issue. Um, billing rates lower, et cetera. Um, I, I didn't, because we're talking about IP, I usually don't talk that much about my own business on these podcasts, believe it or not. But now it's like, since you're talking about it, I want to, to mention it. And it's the frustration that people have is if they go to a big firm, it's going to be extremely expensive. That's the only reason you're not going to be able to defend yourself against, you know, a large company that comes along. Um, and you have to have some entrepreneurial attorneys. Uh, you can get people that have been in the field for many, many years and worked at the big, uh, and it's not just our a law firm does that. There are many law firms that do that. So it's not just a plug for us, but it's that vacuum that I felt was important and kind of missing. Um, and it's very difficult for small companies to feel like they can uh, arrive in IP and do what they need to. The well, other you and I are a lot alike. You and I are a lot alike in that regard. I mean, we're, smaller shops that have a lot of experience that can add a lot of value and, and find the right um, the right Venn diagram for clients who have the need at the right level and they're at the right price point, right? Yeah, I think that's that's well said. Um, I do want to mention one thing, I'll, and I, I don't want to take our whole podcast with it, but um, IP enforcement is more difficult now since the America Invents Act um, in 2013 than it was in the past. There's something called an inter-parties review that's been created, which is a, it's a mini litigation basically before the patent office that makes it easier to invalidate your patents. And uh, some of the big companies, even like Samsung, as you mentioned, um, they have um, taken, you know, filed hundreds of these because there's no limit on it, which can make it very difficult for a small company to deal with. You bet. I, just, I just want that out there. By the way, you mentioned Samsung Electronics, full disclosure, I, I, um, was director of the licensing for Samsung Electronics for a couple of years, specifically in, in the telecom area. <laughs> so, so, I, so I hit a funny bone, I guess. Huh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, look, I'm out of focus here. Excuse me for a second while I do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think I'm back. Um, this quote you have, be specific till it hurts. I want to tell everybody about the quote. <laughs> I think it's a great quote. Um, I remember that, um, you heard of, I don't know if you ever heard of Zig Ziglar. He was one of these of uh, motivational type 
people. He was good with sales and everything. He always used to say, don't be a wandering generality when you can be a meaningful specific. And I always remember that. Yeah, sure. I just, I always remember it and I come back to it. Whenever I'm getting more general, I I tell myself, come back, give people what's important to them, you know? Um, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about some of your focus now on personal fitness versus business fitness. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, I've always been a pretty fit guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, ran track and played soccer, you know, from the time when I was a kid. And I've always just liked competing and liked the feeling of, uh, you know, uh, the good sore after, you know, having had a good workout. And, and uh, it's certainly a stress reliever and all the rest. And, right. and you know, I, when you're traveling around the world on business and doing things, it's sometimes tough to juggle. Um, this COVID thing, you know, has really been tough for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I certainly feel cooped up myself, but what I've done is I've taken advantage of the time to actually bring my fitness to a, just another level for somebody my age and, and, uh, you know, really have enjoyed doing it, but it, it, it allowed me to reflect on my business and, and the business, the people that I serve in my company, you know, in, in my consulting practice and, and what I realized is that, you know, uh, um, 12 years ago, you know, when the, when we had our, uh, you know, the last recession from the financial meltdown, you know, if you talk to somebody about their personal health and you were talking about carbs and the number of steps they took, they would look at you like you, you, you had no idea what you're talking about, like you're talking some kind of foreign language. But now with now there's a lot more awareness and there's a lot more technology um and and so people have you know a way to kind of measure and track their personal fitness um and you know and so you know and and so it's very easy to tell if somebody's healthy or unhealthy because you have things like a body mass index or you have something that shows up on your watch or you know or on your app and, you know, and, and you could see if somebody's unhealthy, if they're, you know, sitting in McDonald's and they're, they look like they're overweight and they're eating a Big Mac somewhere, you know, I got to stop doing that. <laughs> right. So you, you can, you can kind of tell, but how do, how do you tell that in a business? There's so many different measurements and ways to know that. And there are a lot of people who, you know, don't do that for their, uh, for their own health. And the reason is, is because. Um, uh, they're biased. And so, you know, what happens is they've got, there are, there are a few different biases that get in the way of people wanting to admit that. And so what happens is, you know, if, if you wanted to get a hip replacement because your hip has been bothering you and kind of worn out, you have to go to a doctor and get a diagnostic to understand why you need your hip to be replaced. That's right. Before you actually go and then get your insurance company to validate it rather than just all of a sudden deciding you're going to replace your hip. But if you wanted to replace your hip in your business, you would just go do it. You wouldn't collect any data. There'd be no diagnostic around it or anything and, and, and often. And so people go in the wrong direction and they waste resources and time, which can put you out of business. And so, Um, so, you know, what people, there, there are four different kind of 
things that I see, one that are biases and one's a quantification bias. So people, um, you know, are looking for a hard fixed ROI that they can count on to understand why it's worth making the, making mm. the investment or make, made, making worth the effort. And if they can't fully quantify it uh, to take all the risk out, they move away from it. The second thing is an adrenaline bias. So if you're one of those, you know, one of those people who's always fighting fires, you know, and you're an adrenaline junkie and you're not spending enough time on moving the business forward or managing the risk, then you may, you, you may avoid actually fortifying the health of your business. Uh, the third thing is a, a sophistication bias. So you, you think you know it all and, you know, there's, there's no reason to do anything different other than what you're doing right now, even if you're really struggling and not taking advantage of the best opportunities you can. Um, and then the last one is just an opportunity bias. It's relying on your gut instinct and conjecture and choosing the wrong opportunities. And so there, those, those are different biases that kind of get in the way. And so, you know, what I help, you know, what I do is I work with, I work with companies, you know, using that business, uh, using that fitness analogy to actually help them get their businesses fit. And you may ask, well, what does that, what is, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, what it means is that um, you're focused on the right things as if you're an investor. So if I'm an investor, if, if I was going to invest in, 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 in your company, uh, what are the things that are most important? And so the things that are most important, it doesn't matter whether you're a startup mm. or whether you're planning on selling your business now because you're ready to retire. But the things that are most important are your pipeline. So it's the amount of interest and in new potential opportunity, your current book of business. So it's the diversity and depth of your client base, your value proposition itself, so it's what makes you and your services and products unique. The resources you have, how much cash do you have in the bank? What does your balance sheet look like? What is your run rate PNL? What does your growth trajectory look like? Um, how is your team? So that you have, you know, so if if somebody retires, somebody leaves, somebody gets hit by a bus, you know, the the decision making capability is there. And then the processes is the last one. So how much automation do you have? How much standard work do you have so you can continue to scale and grow? And so business fitness is about preparing yourself so that every decision that you make as a company has the, the filters of all the term or long-term decision. Mm -hmm. Is it going to help you enhance your pipeline? Is it going to help you grow your customer base uh, vertically or horizontally? Is it going to enhance your value proposition in terms of uh, how you deliver your services? Is it going to add to your uh, your P and L, you know, so that you're making more money? And is it going to allow you to to scale more? And if you and if you uh, do all those things, you will have a more valuable company. You'll have more wealth. <laughs> no matter what stage you're in. And what happens is a lot of, I, I get a lot of people who call me up and they, they, they'll they call me um, and say, I, I wanna sell my business now, what do I do? And I'm not a business broker, but I basically walk them through and say, you know, I ask them why they wanna sell their business. 
and they, you know, they say one of many things. It could be that they, you know, are retiring because they've reached a retirement age or they, you know, their business isn't going the way they want. And so they want to sell while they can before right, right. it declines too much or they had a fight with their family members or, or, you know, who knows. And what ends up happening is chances are a lot of those investor criteria are not lined up. Their books aren't lined up. They don't have a good pipeline. They, you know, they've, they, they, their, they, their team isn't well-developed, you know, all these things don't exist. So why not, you know, it, it, again, to the health analogy, when you're 70 years old, it isn't all of a sudden time to eat your salads, right? You, you gotta, you have to have that muscle memory throughout your life in order to have the most value throughout it. And so, Part of it is, is you know, the three elements of, manage, or, or, of business fitness involve managing risk, which a lot of it is gathering information. Right. So we, we, we gathering the right information as a, uh, and doing the, the, the deep analysis that allows you to make more scientific bets or, or assessments. And so we talked about the keto thing. We talked about some of the IP, but that allows you to, to make some smart uh, mid-course corrections. Then you have to shape the process. So it means actually implementing successful approaches. So I've been working with a financial services firm, for instance, that was just promoting itself as if, you know, have the right plan for retirement. And, I, and he wasn't getting a lot of traction. He and his firm weren't getting a lot of traction recently because of COVID and not getting in, in front of as many people. And I said, do you think that people, you know, we need to do some more research on this, but do you think right now people are, are really caring about their retirement in 10, 20, 30 years from now, depending upon the age that they are, or they really care about right now, how do I survive? <laughs> how do I, how do I maintain, you know, how do I keep my mortgage payments going? How do I, you know, how can I sit, you know, with the job that I have, how can I still put some money away? What can I do? So, I helped take him through a process to define his ideal client and develop his messaging and market his brand and create his offer so that he'd actually be focused on people whose needs were most uh, impacted now. Um, and so it wasn't about, it was about, it was about solving some of those pain points now about how to manage through a trying time that was a more successful approach that helped him shape the process and have the long-term look and then the last part is creating that exit readiness so it's long-term planning and preparation and moving past fear and doubt about things and uh, looking in that investor criteria and one example i'll give is there was a father and son real estate commercial real estate brokerage firm and i've got a real estate background and uh the uh Uh, started the company he, he you know he had several people under him but he wanted to hand the the company to his son right. who was younger who was in the business but nothing was in place they had no processes they had no automation they didn't have you know their 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 focus uh commercially was kind of very broad they they and they weren't and 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 uh they didn't you know they didn't have uh, all the things in process uh, all the things uh, in place that in, that would enable this um, founder to step away, and so um, they were not exit ready. <laughs> you know that's really great advice. And, and, I mean, it really this is. This was not a safe. I think you went out for a second. 
Are you back? I'm back. Okay. Okay. I was just saying it's really, really great advice. And um, it's true that, you know, private companies tend to be kind of idiosyncratic. I mean, you don't have that level of objectivity because you don't have investors looking at him. So what you're doing sounds like uh, what a chartered financial analyst would do for a, you know, for investment in a public company, you know, look, putting in some objective criteria to, to examine it. But you go beyond that, it seems to me that you're also, you know, stepping back and giving, you know, you're asking the, the big questions like, are we in the right forest? You know, forget about this tree, just like you did with this uh, financial services firm. It seems to me very good advice that you wouldn't get internally a lot of times, unless if you have the right kind of structure, which as you know, like Ray Dalio is always working on this to try to provide or foster an environment where everybody can have their input uh, so that, you know, so that you have some kind of a objective measure about the work that you're doing. And it's not just this top down thing. Um, sorry, Ray, for oversimplifying what you do, but that kind of objectivity is, is, is important. So you come in as, as an outside advisor um, and you stay with them, particularly for an exit strategy, that's going to be incredibly important. What about and, for, was that? Uh, just, I'm sorry to chime in. And, and just so you know, I, I'm not somebody who comes in and, and, and says, you know, uh, uh, you know, I spend a week with, a, 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 you know, some, some leaders of a firm and I make 10 recommendations and, 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 and go away. Right. What I recognize is, um, you know, I talked about my experience and my expertise, but what I recognize is most people are not expert. I am not the expert at most people's businesses or industries. Um, the people who are leaders who have founded their firms, who have, who have, you know, been part of their firms and leaders of their firms who maybe have hit a speed bump or, you know, are looking to, looking to grow differently, they know the answers. They just don't know how to pull it out because they're, because of all those biases that exist. And so I can help pull that out. And, uh, and, and I like to use examples. This is a, an older client, but I worked with a technology client that provided training. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would have people come on site to gain their training expertise. And it was, uh, relating to coding, you know, C O D I N G, uh, in technology. And so, um, what happened was people were, 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 you know, even before COVID were wanting to, were not as interested in that type of thing because, People were <clears throat> not getting the travel, or they you know couldn't justify it, or they couldn't justify that amount of time away, or they wanted to learn on their own time, not just in that designated week in that designated time frame where they had to go to a classroom. So I facilitated um, a group discussion where they came up with the answers, and basically they said we need to have something that has an online component with a different price point. Right. But when we bring them to town and they do get trained, it needs to be something extra special that makes it worthwhile. So we did things like, and this, they came up with it, was they created a certification that was a special certification that they could, that they could, you know, put on their LinkedIn or put on their resume or be able to justify it with their boss or do whatever. They did a scrum where they actually were able to apply what they learned in class before they went away. And there was actually networking opportunities that were 
more strongly facilitated to actually either get mentors or mentees or, mm. you know, or be able to, you know, frankly, if you wanted to find a new job. <laughs> and so um, between those two things, it, 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 it you know, uh, a business that was going downhill, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the whole trajectory of the business changed. And that wasn't because I recommended it. It was because I had I helped them think a little bit differently about their business. Yeah, that's terrific. I um I want to um at least have the opportunity to talk about your book for a moment. Now I understand you have a gift for our audience. Grow like a pro. So yeah, so I yeah. What do you talk about in that book? <laughs> well, uh, I think I've sh shared uh, and appreciate all the time and the good questions um, today, but. You know, I think I, um, you know, what I realized um, a few years ago was that um, I had a lot of knowledge and I had a lot of tools that I had developed and applications that I had developed. And when I would get a call from, from a client, my team and I, we would basically have it on our laptops or in our head. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something that was named. It wasn't something that was branded. It wasn't something that was... Uh, uh, you know, easily distributed. And so, uh, so what, I, what I did was I spent some time and got some coaching um, from some people who had written books before. And, and, and I put together a, uh, a book called Grow Like a Pro. So it's about growing your business like a, like a, a pro would. And it's lessons from a two-time Inc. 500 executive, which I am. And it really focuses on a lot of the key things we just talked about today and the, the sections are about um, identifying a problem, targeting the right customer, launching profitably, managing the sales process, leading the right team, developing the right partnerships, managing your finances, operating efficiently, developing, uh, um, I'm sorry, tracking performance and developing an exit plan. Those are all the sections broken into 30 chapters. The thing that makes it unique, and, has, and I've gotten really good feedback on the book, is that it's got a lot of um, um, anecdotes from real life situations, either those that people know of, you know, like in Airbnb or, you know, examples of, of different types of clients that I've worked with where the mistakes that are made, the lessons that are learned in each of those scenarios mm -hmm. is, is really expounded upon. And then there are a lot of tools that are in the book. And I have a link in my website that allows you to download these tools and put it to work for you and your business right then and there and right away. And so it's a very practical guide as opposed to a, uh, a, a textbook that you would read or, uh, you know, or uh, uh, something that's just cerebral that you can't put into action. And so um, so, um, it's available on Amazon in, uh, in, in both, uh, e-reader format, digital format, or, you know, in, uh, in a paperback that, that can be ordered. Um, and, um, you know, it's an opportunity to, you know, get started at least with some of the, some of the work, um, you know, that I can, that I can offer to, to, to people. So tell us about the gift. I understand you're going to give five copies away to the first five people um, who contact you for about the book? How do they get a hold yeah. of you? Yeah, so um, so I am happy to uh, send a hard copy of this book 
to the first five people who reach out to me via email. And, um, and the only thing, um, uh, so I will need your, your, your email and obviously name and address, um, and contact information. Um, and, um, I guess the only caveat is, uh, you know, would want to be able to schedule a discovery session with each of these folks in exchange for the book. Yeah. And it doesn't, there's, there's no requirement other than, you know, just having a connection, you know, if there's, if there's something I can listen to and help you with great, if not, you know, that's fine too. If I can connect you to somebody who can help you differently. Fantastic. I have a good network. Um, so my email address is uh, my first initial a the last name Goldstrom, G-O-L-D-S-T-R-O-M, at midcourseadvisors.com. And you can also check me out on my uh, website, which is also midcourseadvisors.com, or look me up on LinkedIn. Also, any of our existing listeners, if you shoot an email to me, I'll forward it to Andy, Cameron at IPLawLeaders.com. So C-A-M-E-R-O-N, like Cameron Diaz, <laughs> so uh, at IPLawLeaders.com, and I'll, I'll make sure it gets forwarded to him. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a lot, which is makes it a great show. I appreciate the time and uh, keep keep doing the good work that you're doing in, in the in the legal field. And thanks for the opportunity to have a platform and, and be able to share some thoughts with your listeners and happy holidays. Thank you. My pleasure.